0: Start so that if I go over, um, I won't be that late. Uh, All right. Well, let's begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would enlighten us by your Holy Spirit so that we would receive Jesus Christ in each word of your Scriptures. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we have. gone through the description of faith and so far we started at creation Um, we we began with verse 3 so again this is Hebrews chapter 11 Uh, verse 3 we said by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible Uh, just one more comment on this Uh, Faith being the substance of things hoped for. Uh, When God makes the world by things we cannot see, it is good for us to consider this. Because what does it mean um, for the things that right now we can't see by faith? How powerful are they if the world is made by things we cannot see? What does that mean about believing in things we cannot see? What is the connection?
1: Faith they
0: exist. Yeah, we have faith they exist. But is it... um, Is the evidence of the things not... Is the evidence of the things not seen? In this case, the world being made. What does that tell us about the things which we believe? Okay, so... What? They'll be real. They're real! Not only are they real, they are powerful... They have all power. They're the source of all power. Right? So, again, the evidence is what is produced by the thing that is invisible. So, the Word of God, the thing we could not see, has produced what? The
1: things we
0: see. The world, the things we can see. And so, in in a way, it's actually firmer than the things we can see. It's, It's even more reliable than the things we can see. Of course, because who is behind this word of God? God. right? God speaks. And of course, who is named the word of God? Jesus. So, so this then is the foundation. And although it is invisible, invisibility does not mean powerless. But rather, the foundation of all power. The foundation of all things. So it is good for us to reflect on this, that the world was made by what is not seen. And so when we believe things that are not yet seen, we know that what is not seen can still produce the world. And if it can produce the world, it can also produce your resurrection. And it can recreate the world. So it's good that it starts with that. And then our faith is based on... and this. It's, it's sort of astonishing because he relies on Genesis so much. We've given up a lot in America uh, because we've given up the fight with evolution. Uh, we, we, let that, we let that be the story. Uh, and, and we sort of say, well, you know, if people are scientific or whatever it may be, if we, if we give up that fight, what are we giving up here? If we give up the fight on evolution, if we simply say, well, yeah, it could have been maybe old earth, whatever, What are we giving up here? Creation. The truth. The truth, yes. And faith. Right? Ultimately, but yeah, you're right. The the truth, which is that the world was formed by things that are invisible. Now, science, by necessity, needs what in order to be proven? What does science need? Yes. Observation. Observation. This is the wonderful part about it. And so we Christians would say, yeah, so what? You can't see it. Does it matter? God made the world. Can't see him, and yet, look at the world. And this is what Romans does, right? The, the invisible attributes of God are seen, but they're only seen in the things that are produced. So then, uh, relating this to faith, faith is something that holds on to things we can't see. And yet it produces. Look what it produces. And so we're really looking at what faith in the word of God produces in everyone who's held on to it. They believed in things that were invisible. Now usually when someone says they believe in invisible things, we, what do we say about them? <laughs> right? um, and yet here we see it is the foundation of our faith. The production of the word of God, its fruit, is Jesus Christ, him crucified, and now it is in his resurrection. The power of God, made perfect in weakness, is the cross. So now we, we, we have faith in things we cannot see, and, those, and that faith then is producing stuff in us, because the one we cannot see now, Jesus, is in us, and he's producing these things. Okay, so this is the faith that we've been talking about. Um, We go from verses 4 all the way to verse 11, and it tells us the history of creation. So first, God made the world, and now we have Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. So it's going straight through the line. All of them had faith. Now, there's a brief pause in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed. What promise do we have that we are assured of, embrace, and confess? Well, yes, that's, that's, what's, that's what assures us. That's what gives us the grace. and what's, what, But what is it that we're looking to? Eternal life. Yeah, eternal life. The resurrection. We're assured of it. How are you assured of the resurrection? The word that tells you what? what? How do you know that you're going to be raised from the dead? Because Christ is. He is the word of God. And therefore the word you hold on to is literally Resurrection. So, we look forward then also as those who have been promised. See, that's the thing about faith. It's very easy to get lost in this life. Our flesh sees stuff, and we wish to remain with stuff. And because we can see it. And so it's easy, right? If I want to build a good life for myself, I want to have a nice retirement, I want to have a nice life, I know how to do that. Human reason can, with the means that it has, make a good life. But if we do that, what happens to our faith? Yeah, if all of our energies are, are spent on this life, then we have the things we see. And then we don't have the things we can't see. Can the things that you see... Save you. No, they can't. No, they can't. And nothing that we see can save us. Can the things that you hear save you? Yes. <laughs> yes, they can, right? Yeah, because it's the word. The word is a it's a promise. What is the nature of a promise?
1: going to get something, or someone's going to do something for
0: you, or for themselves in the future. Yeah, a na- the nature of a promise is someone is going to do something, give you something, but is it a promise if you have it now? No! It can't be. It, it eliminates the promise. So we Christians live in a promise that we have not this life, but rather the life to come, and that makes... Then what is this life that we live? A trial, yes. A a cross. We're testing. We're testing. Well, a testing, yes. Um, and and uh, yeah, it, it could be that. Uh, well, really, it's it's more basic than that, right? You, what do you what do you need before you can have faith? Life. life. <laughs> yes, that's it. Existence. You have to be here. Therefore, you have to be born. Or, or just conceived. Right? So you have to be. And the reason why the Lord continues to let this earth continue is what? Other people have to be. Right? You had children. And those children God wanted in his kingdom. And our children may indeed have children until, of course, the Lord decides that it is done, the day of repentance is done. And so we wait. And the largest part of our waiting is that we would love our neighbor and give to them the faith that we have been given. Now, of course, testing is in there too. um, But God, his election is sure. And so he does not need you uh, to show him how true your faith is. He chooses you, and He makes your faith strong. Okay, so, then our life is set beyond the bounds of what we can see. It is not here. Okay. Uh, Also, what does this mean? If your life is in Jesus, what does that mean about um, your earthly life? If your life is in Jesus... How, what does it mean about your earth? Or how should you treat your earthly life? What? Well, not that it's not in Jesus, um, but what what happens when you die? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's temporary. Yeah, no, that's right. Foreigners, yeah. Foreigners, strangers. Yeah. So that this life is not the end. We treat this life as one that we can spend. And that, that was actually, uh, you know, Pastor Baisley did a good job at the defending the faith when we are talking about um, media or the mind of Christ. One of the biggest problems we have now, especially after COVID is, uh, that we are hesitant to spend our life To spend our life for the sake of other people. Because we have been told to preserve our life at all costs. That was one of the greatest deceptions of our time. And we believed it so much so that we, we closed ourselves in our homes and refused to spend our life for other people. And that was a great evil. Uh, and, and we were slowly learning to, to unlearn it Um, But it was a good test of faith because it helped us to see and to reorient ourselves. Because it wasn't COVID that did that. Our heart was already there. It was just that it became true after it happened. And we saw ourselves for what we really were. I look back on what I did during all this stuff and I realize I am a coward. So often I, I would choose preserving myself. And that hurts very badly. But that's a good thing. Because then I realize where I put all my value. And I put it too much in myself, too much in my earthly life. What am I trying to preserve? Jesus preserves my life. Not me. I am not the source of my life, nor can I bring about the end of my life without God. He begins and ends my earthly life and my eternal life ok so this then is the direction of our life in faith and now we're going to get to Moses um, there are two that we missed last time oh we did Abraham and Isaac right? and this then was the biggest picture of Jesus so you have this pause uh, which says by the way even though So sorry let me uh, let me orient you I'm in verse 17 um, so in, in verse 17 by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Hebrews Hebrews 11, verse 17. Sorry. Um, So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, this is one of the greatest depictions of the promise that God gave to Adam. There will be a son of the promise from a woman seeming impossible And yet, this promised son, his father, would sacrifice him for the salvation of the world. Now, of course, the angel came down and stopped Abraham because this is just a shadow. But we're dealing with shadows. That's what Hebrews is talking about. The fullness has come and we see Jesus with our faith. So, Abraham then gives us this picture through Isaac of what we need for salvation. Jesus Christ. So, our faith then is put in things we cannot see. Abraham put his faith in a resurrection of Isaac that he could not see. Now, this is continued. So, now we're in verse 20. The faith of Abraham that Isaac would be raised from the dead is now carried out also in verse 20. Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now, again, Isaac is close to death. But here it's spelled out even more in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. So, Jacob too, at his death, blesses them with the knowledge of the resurrection, knowing that death is not the end. Then we have Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel, and gave instruction concerning his bones. Why does Joseph tell his sons to bring up his bones from Egypt? Why does he care about his bones? With his fathers, yes. Why why are they so concerned about being buried with their fathers? What do they care? Yeah, what is he, what is he uh, testifying to? The resurrection. That this, that you're right, this is the promise he gave and that this really will be the case. They will receive a land from God, but of course, it will be a new heaven and a new earth. But those bodies will be the ones, these bones. This is why Job can say, with my eyes... I will see my Redeemer and not with the eyes of another. It would be his flesh. It would be this flesh that you have. Only it will not have sin. Okay, so all of them are bearing witness to what Abraham did. Abraham and Isaac proclaimed the resurrection because he was willing to kill his son knowing that God could raise him from the dead. So that faith also is that the seed would come and that he would crush Satan's head. But again, they could not see it. Okay, now we move to Moses. So Moses is from verse 23 all the way to verse 30. No, I'm sorry, verse 29. Um, So now we, we sort of travel through the patriarchs and now we're in Exodus. So Exodus and even all the way to, well, we'll get to Joshua in a second. But but here we see the the travel of Moses, and again it's the same faith. But this story is very familiar to us. Verse twenty-three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, Bruce. I <laughs> said they didn't wear a mask. Um, they were not. Who, who did they fear? Who did Moses' parents fear? God. So that when the king commanded whatever he commanded. Uh, now, what was, the, what was the punishment for not doing this to your children?
1: the child and they' gonna kill the child
0: anyway right yeah they would they would probably kill. we don't know right but seemingly if you don't follow the command of the king you're punished yeah. right if it's death to your child you can only assume that it would be death to you if you keep your child because you've you you, you adopt the child's uh, the child's fate <clears throat> but they were willing to do it to face death All because of faith. For they knew and they feared God more. But they also knew that their son uh, was a beautiful child. This is sort of a strange thing here. Um, But they, they knew that Moses was part of this promise. Now, of course, every parent in Israel would have known this. Why would every parent... In a way, expect their child to be the chosen one. What? Why would every parent in Israel have this expectation? That their child would be the chosen one. It promise. Yeah, it's the promise. This is why this same activity. So, see, see if you're going to destroy the promised one so that salvation doesn't come out of Israel, you always have to kill all the baby boys. Who also did this? Herod, right? And you can't pick one because why? You don't know which one, right? So you just have to do it to everyone. So then this, again, is the type of Christ, a shadow of him to come. The one who would come to deliver Israel would be born and would rise up and save his people. Uh, So the promise then is applied uh, to us too, because no matter what is commanded us, what must we always do? Even if the rulers of this age uh, command us different, what is required for us always? So, so much so that we would um, we would flout the authority on earth. What must we do? Well, what would, let, let me let me put it in a different way. If what would the earthly authorities have to command us to do that we could not do and we must say no?
2: Defy his word of God.
0: Defy yeah, do, and that's the same thing, right? Denounce Christ, defy the word of God. Right? So, uh, or to put it in a, a, a more, um, you know, to, to sort of flush that out a little bit, uh, we have, we cannot deny the faith. We cannot deny Jesus, right? But we also cannot be denied loving our neighbor. We will love our neighbor no matter what. If the government forbids us to love our neighbor, what will we do? We will defy the government. On what authority? Christ's authority. Because he has the highest authority, and any authority that would denounce God is no longer a godly authority. Here's another thing that we cannot do. Uh, so we cannot be prohib- prohibited from doing good. We cannot be commanded to do evil. Okay? So both of those things are true. We can't be prohibited from doing good. I will always love my neighbor, no matter what. No one can stop me, and if you try, I will continue to serve my neighbor until I die. But I also cannot be told to do evil by my government. Whatever that government may be, whatever form it takes, whether it's a king or a president or whoever it may be, If they command me to do evil, I will most certainly never do it.
2: And legally in America, this is the conscience clause, right? We we have the right to conscientiously object to any government policy because it goes against our sense of right and wrong that uh, God's given into our conscience. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is the government's uh, (coughs) tipping of the hat to the freedom of the individual and the relationship of the individual to God, that if your conscience is violated by something we've commanded, you may object and abstain from doing it. Do we still have that?
0: But <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. <laughs> We're finding out now. Uh, yes.
3: The only thing that seems to work in our course, which isn't, I would say, uh, a good thing to say, is you have to say, well, "I had heard from God today, and I have a message from God today that I have to, I can't do such and such." So, you know, God spoke to me, and I can't do it. So it's that person. If you try to say that the, the doctrine of our church is such and such, they won't, the judges won't allow you to do it because they'll say, "Well, the Pope said it's okay." So it has to be a personal thing for God.
0: They fine-tune so much. Interesting. So they're, they're trying to make us enthusiasts. No, no, no. the only world picked up. But otherwise,
3: during the Vietnam War, I can say that I was involved in this sort of thing in general. I mean, I had to think about it. But so we had the lottery, and I lost the lottery at 278, so I didn't have to go. But I mean, uh, the thing it is: so, there are people who want to be conscientious objectives. And
0: they could have a religious personal view. Now, this is the oddity here, because they could have a very religious personal view. They said, your church has to have that. Uh, Ah, right. And so now it's changed. It's
3: flip-flopping. Yeah,
0: right. 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 Yeah, so here we see faith defines who we fear. And fear is defined in a certain way here. Um, so again, I, I am in verse 23. Um, uh, so you look at the end of that verse. And they were not afraid of the king's command. In this instance, what kind of fear are we talking about? What is fear? Yeah. Okay, All right. so one fear is, I'm going to get hurt and I'm afraid. Okay, that's one kind of fear. What is the fear of God? Is it that kind? I'm going to get hurt, so I'm afraid? Okay, so there's a different kind of fear, like a respect, right? So a fear in the sense that I know you I know you have the right to punish me. Um, and, I, and I respect that, and I wish to follow you simply because you, you have been given that authority. Yes, I, Benny, are you raising your hand backwards? <laughs> yes, sir.
1: I mean, we also fear that
0: will lose God, too. Ah, yes, right. Uh, and, and so we, we have a fear of being separated from those that we love. Um, so I, I like uh, Luther. I, th- I think it was Luther. Maybe it was Walter. I can't remember. It wasn't me. Um, but it was a good idea. Uh, so the, there's, there's slavish fear and there's childlike fear. And I think that's a good distinction. Um, there's a psalm there's that goes, uh, you are a God who is merciful so that you may be feared. Now that's a strange thing to say. Usually we would say fear means that you have to punish the person to make them afraid. But the mercy actually is the childness, childlikeness of fear. Chi- children love their parents and they don't want to disappoint them. They, don't, they, they love them and they fear them because they love that they have the power that they have. They love that they have that authority. They acknowledge that authority and that power. and they, So they fear them in a the good way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Right? That's where that's coming from. Yeah. And,
2: and, I, and I think part of that distinction too is that our flesh's fear is always slavish fear. Yes, it, it, right. It responds to uh, punishments and rewards. Well, if I'm going to get something out of it, then I'll do it. Or, or if I can avoid punishment, then I, I'll refrain myself from doing it. And that's the slavish fear of having a whip or a club over one's head. And Luther even says we should compel our flesh in that way. <laughs> right. We should treat it as a beast because it's the only thing it responds to. Right. It doesn't have the love of God into it, so it has to be driven as a beast. And this is the discipline of Lent. Yeah, that's right. This is
3: fasting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but uh, but but the but the fear of the new creation, the Son of God. That is made in the image of Christ is that a fear of a son of yes. of, of, one, of not wanting to lose his father, which is exactly what Jesus suffered on the cross. He lost his father buried under our sin, yeah. and that's what he feared, and that's what we should fear.
0: And and going to that fear that that is slavish always in us because of the sinner that is in us. This is the cross that God afflicts us because He knows that we still have this old Adam. And that old Adam in us only responds to death. And so God will lay upon us these crosses, whether they are the afflictions of sickness or pain or separation from those we love, whatever they are, God knows that we need it. So that the slavish part of us, the sinner in us, simply must be told, go and die. There is no redemption of the sin in us. But the son part of us, The childlike part says, Ah, my Father is afflicting me, and I know that it will be for my good, even though it feels like death. And we have both of those in us. That's why when we are afflicted, we feel like we're dying. (laughs) Because we are. That part has to die. But the, the saint in us rejoices. Because as we are weak, who is strong? Jesus is strong, and He will save us.
2: And, and, we, and we shouldn't ignore also the pleasure part of it, that our, our flesh is drawn to what pleases it and, and what gives pleasure, and it does it in such a way that I can ultimately be happy if I have this thing or that thing or the other, and, and that, that, that may give the flesh a little bit of relief from its pain and torture and fear of death but it never lasts. That's the point of the transient pleasures of this world. They are a mirage. And as long as we can indulge them and pursue them, we're living in a lie. And that's the other part of Lent, giving up our pleasure, as if that were what we were pursuing and what would last forever. So it's both what we fear and what we love. Our flesh loves sin and that which is apart from God. We have to recognize that too, because that's the pleasant part.
0: And as we go through the Catechism and the, and the midweeks, the beginning of every section is you should, of the Ten Commandments are, "You should fear and love God." Right? And this is what it means. And so going back to our verse 23, why we're discussing this fear is that if, if they wanted to indulge themselves, they could have easily sacrificed their son to the king. And then what would they have? Well, they would't have nothing. They would have something. What would they have if they gave up their son? If they gave up Moses? They would have their life, right? And they could... And, and, and no matter how many sons they had, they could... They, for the price of a son, they could have their life. For the price of your children, you can have your life. Go ahead. Give them up. And you can have your earthly life for however long and miserable that will be. Uh, and that will be great for you, won't it? But of course... That's not true, and it's a lie. Yeah?
1: There's a, there's a saying, kind of going back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, it says that
0: sometimes it's better to do what is necessary than what is safe. Yeah, this is right. To do what is necessary as opposed to what is safe. And you know, uh, that again, uh, I, I've heard it put this way, that it, there, there is something among us called safetyism. I don't know if you've heard of this. It goes along with, there, there are so many isms now, I can't keep up. But, but yeah, I, I've heard this now, though. People have said this to me. Have a safe day or something like that. It's oh, like the be new. Safe. Be safe! Oh, it's the new greeting. <laughs> or, in other words, preserve yourself at all costs and don't spend yourself for anyone else because safety is our number one goal. Never should that be our number one goal. We should give ourselves for our neighbor. Love is selfless. So that's, so the word safety, I mean, I don't know if we can replace it with selfish, but it's darn close. <laughs> um, so, uh, so they were unsafe. They were choosing death. This was not a safe thing to do. And true, they were not caught. And yet, they were being unsafe. They kept their child. Yes? Safety is one of the first things parents. That's true. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, so and, and I must put it this way, uh, the caricature of safety, right? There's a difference between um, preserving my body so that I can serve, but even then I, I caution against that because we use that and abuse it. That's sort of what's been abused in our time, right? Well, how can I serve someone else if I'm sick, right? Well, there is a truth to that, However, if you find yourself never encountering another human being because you're trying to keep yourself safe, I think it's gone too far. right? And so that's the, th- that's the devil always does this. Let's in- yes, there is a truth of safety, but now we're going to take it to ad nauseum and use this truth and turn it into a lie. It's true. The, tr- the, the, no- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could give some kind of knowledge. So why not eat it? It must be good. But of course, all true knowledge is from God. And if He wishes us, and and again, this is the lie. I can preserve my life. I am the one who preserves my life. Yeah. Adam didn't
3: know the difference between good
0: Well, this is the trick. Right? This is the bag over the head. Um, you, you know, it, it, the question to put to her was, don't you want to be wise like God? Because how can you know sin if you haven't done it? But of course, they did know sin. They already had wisdom because they had God. And they could ask God whatever they so chose. But the, but the problem is they wanted it for themselves. God defines evil. And they already knew what evil was because God showed them the good and said, do not eat of it. And they knew that whatever was not of Him is evil. But again, we want, we want to make our own definitions. But this is why we must cast out reason. Reason is, uh, as, as the NKJV would put it, a harlot. Right? Clinging to every single thing that would give it pleasure, because our reason is corrupted by sin. Reason itself is not evil, but we are, and we're the ones using it, and so it becomes evil, in our hands. So, uh, okay, back to verse 23. Um, so they did not; they were not afraid of the king. They feared God. Yeah.
1: In a sense, though, Moses' parents did. Technically, obey
0: the king's order. Uh, the, the order was to throw your babies in the
1: night. and they did. They just put him in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This and, is and true. Were it not for
2: the,
0: uh, the the kind heart of uh, Pharaoh's daughter, um, then he might not have survived. And the right. What? And the midwives. And the midwives, right? Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so they did not. They. It, go ahead. Yeah, well, and that's right. Somebody at
3: Joseph's line probably would have known somebody and said, hey, can you get your daughter down there? You want to see her in case she's out there? You don't need to the
0: usual stuff. Right. Well, and, and again, it, the, the command was to throw them in the river right away. So they still flouted it. Right? Uh, they still, and the problem was they could not hide him any longer. And that's what we get in Genesis, or sorry, in Exodus, is you know, when a baby's crying, you can't you can't stop the child from making noise. And so to them, they were facing death or death, and they chose still life for their son, and as much as they could give him life, they put they held him for as long as they could, and then and then when they held him, the moment he was born, they still said no to the king. And that's the point that's the point of their disobedience. Because the king said, When they're born, they die and they didn't do it. And when they could not preserve the life of all their other family anymore, they still wished to preserve the life of Moses, and God then was able to take it. Right? So, so, so even then, they were still flouting the king and allowing God to be the one to be feared. And they feared God for the life of their own family. Right? And so they did both. Um, okay, so they were not afraid of the king. Verse 24 By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, he looked to the reward. Oh, now that's. I don't. What was what was Moses' faith in according to this verse? According to these verses? What did Moses believe in? What? The word, yes. But what does it call that? You're right, it is the word, but what does it call it here? What is the reward? What is it called? The reproach of Christ. Yeah, the reproach of Christ and the riches of Christ. Right? So who is his faith in? Christ! The faith in the Old Testament, do not mistake it, do not think it's something else. Moses knew of the riches of Jesus Christ. And he knew of the cross that Jesus spoke of when Jesus said, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. The reproaches of Christ are here. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, now that is something to say. What do we think when people reproach us? What does that mean for someone to reproach you? Sort of we a weird, old way of saying something.
3: To confront
0: you. Yeah, confront you. Like yeah.
1: You're crazy. So
3: they're coming again
0: against you. Yeah, they come against you. Yeah. They tell you you're nuts, right? To despise you. Yeah, something's wrong. and then what? Yeah, they devalue you. Yeah. Right. They put you low. They make you seem like you're the dust of the world, worthy to be trod upon, and that's about it. And yet, just like the disciples who were beaten for the name of Jesus, what did they do when they left the temple after being beaten from the synagogue? What did the disciples? This is after Jesus rose from the dead. What? They rejoiced. They rejoice to suffer for Jesus. And in this then, it, when I look back uh, at, at these last two years, uh, I, I, uh, I am ashamed, um, and now I hope that I get the opportunity again to rejoice at the reproach of the world. Uh, because we, we closed the church, and we shouldn't have done it. Um, instead... Whatever they slapped upon us, whatever reproaches we got, whatever people said, "Well, you're going to kill people. You're going to, you know, you're killing each other. You're, 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 you're the scum of the earth. You're murderers." I did get that one, Um, you know. and, And that was after. But even after we opened back up again, and praise God, we did we did endure some, and we did get some of these riches. But these are the riches that we would consider the Word of God worth more than every single word spoken by every human being for all of time. They're better. Always. God's Word is always better. And what He says is always true. So, He says gather, we gather. He says love one another, we love one another. He says receive my gifts, and we receive them. And all these things are worth more to us than all of the heaping glories of the world. Now, if Moses would have stayed in Egypt, what would he have gotten? He was the son of Pharaoh. Now, we think we got riches now, but the disparity in the ancient world was even, I don't know if it was, maybe I shouldn't say it's even greater, but it was a, an astonishing thing um, because he would have had all of the luxuries of life. Every, he's the king's son, the king's, the Pharaoh's son, the son of God. I mean, that's what Pharaoh was considered. He would have had everything. And he said, no thanks. I'm going to be with those Hebrews, the guys, you know, who are slaves. Again, this would, you are are picking that the world would make you a slave and that you would endure all punishment and all penalty rather than deny Jesus or what he would have you do. And it's worth more. So, in, in verse 26, we esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. All right, so verse 27 By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So again, we this is a double he doesn't no one cares about the king, you know? <laughs> um so not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he forsook Egypt. He did not care if the king was wrathful. Um, what, what, now, what is it talking about in the life of Moses at this point? When did he forsake the king? Not caring about his wrath. What did Moses do? He killed, he killed an Egyptian, right? Well, you know. Uh, now, it's true. Uh, you know, he was afflicting his people. And out of love, he defended him. This is, a good, this is a good case for just war. You know? But anyhow, um, so we see here that Moses did the, the will of God. Yeah. But did
1: Moses do after
0: that? Well, he did, right? Um, but, but he knew what he was doing. When, when he killed that Egyptian, he knew what he was. He knew he was forsaking the king. He knew he was breaking the laws. Uh, and so he fled Egypt uh, knowing that uh, he didn't belong there anymore. Um, so when it says he didn't fear his wrath, in, in, in carrying out his actions, he did not fear his wrath. Uh, if he did fear his wrath, well, what would he have done instead to the Egyptian who was harming the Hebrews? Yeah, maybe help the Egyptian, right? That would have been really obeying the king. Or at least what he would have stood by and watched, right? He could have used
1: his
0: authority to command himself. Oh, yeah, maybe, I didn't think about that. Maybe he could have told the Egyptian to stop, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't thought about that. But anyhow, we can't dig too much into that. But, the, but, but, but I think there is, there is a, a sense in which that would be true. Um, so instead of using the, the authority of the king, he used the authority of God, which tells us to love our neighbor first, no matter what. Um, but he also knew he would be in exile if he did this. He knew that if he did this, he would have to leave Egypt and no longer have the reward. All right. Um, verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. All right. So now we're getting into when he came back. So uh, he, he uses all the ten plagues summed up in one. Um and he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. What is this? What's the Passover? Yep. Yeah, so the night before they were delivered, and what, would, what was the rule? What did God say? Right. Put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Uh, and, and what else did he say? If you didn't do it, yep, yeah, the firstborn would die. And you had to eat the whole lamb, <laughs> nothing could be left until morning With shoes on. yeah shoes on yeah right maybe we should wear traveling clothes when we come to church I don't know <laughs> um all right so uh well I guess we're wearing funeral clothes right there we go <laughs> because we travel through death to life um all right um verse 29 by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. All right, so this is the conclusion then of Moses um, passing through the sea. Why, why did the Egyptians, uh, why couldn't they get through Yeah, if they use the same path as us, will they succeed? What, so, so let's let's put this in, in our context. If people see, oh, you people say that you know that that thing that you eat and drink, uh, the Lord's body and blood, that's the that's the way of salvation. Okay, fine. Uh, what if the, the world came in? You know, we we, we we're celebrating the sacrament, and uh, I get done blessing it, and then the police come in, confiscate. The Lord's Supper, and uh, and and all the, the you know they feed it to people, um, or they eat it themselves. What happens to them? Oh no, not nothing. Yes, and what happens if you eat and drink the body and blood of Christ unworthily? Yes, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. So, using the same means, yet they could not be saved by it. Um, because what is the difference between us and them or between the people of Israel and Egypt? Faith. Faith is all the difference.
3: Um, yeah? It's what we were reading through that section in our little nighttime study. What I find interesting in this period is that Pharaoh does what seems expedient for him. So he says, Oh, rolling Something's happening in his land. Then his heart is hardened, so the Lord and, and it wasn't simply a lack of faith. It was an active despise of the word God. He said he ignored God and said, I'm gonna do it anyway. And a couple times he was it was like, well, and then he said, well it looks like I can follow all these people to God go through. I'll show him. Well, when he came to the Lord and the Lord did to
0: put down immediately, and he says, come on, God, let's go. we And the rest is history. Right. Right, well, and, and again, this is, we always look weak to the world. Yeah. Now, before they went through the sea, what were the people of Israel saying? Before they went through the Red Sea, and before it departed, what? We're going to die, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, oh, I was going to say, it re- sort of reminded me of a little filler article that was in one of the first year Luther honors, where Luther was accused, because you talk about in baptism, the old man drowning. He, he was accused of drowning a baby in holy baptism, and Luther responded to them by saying, I didn't drown one, I drowned them all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and this, this too, I mean, again, relating it to the individual, right? What is not going to be with you in heaven? Your sin, the old Adam, all the pleasures of this life, they will not follow you. And this, it's the old adage, right? What are you going to take with you when you die? Nothing. That deluge is going to destroy everything. And the only thing that is left is those who are in the faith. All else are drowned forever in the condemnation of hell. So this is what faith does. And again, this is the fruit of faith. We we believe in things we can't see. Could you imagine being the Egyptians? Who, you know, they're following them. Oh, they're trapped now. Well, let's go destroy them, you know. I mean, it'd be like if they had the nuclear weapons of their day. I mean, that's what they had. They had chariots of steel. I mean, it, what did the people of Israel have? A, a stick, you know. I mean, we. And then all of a sudden, their invisible God, who you know he can't do anything. Well, what happened? He split the sea in two. An impossibility. And then not only did he split the sea in two, but I don't know. uh, You well, you probably experienced this recently when all this wet stuff, you know. uh, Oh yeah, sure, it started to dry up, but what was left? Mud. It's been nasty, right? And, and so if you dry up a sea, uh, we always assume that, oh, you parted the waters, right? Uh, that, that's miraculous. But then the people went over on top. What's required for you to walk through the bottom of a seabed? It has to be dry. You can't just be like, well you know, it's fine. And then, I mean, you're going to sink, you know, three feet into the mud. God split the sea and dried the ground instantaneously. So that what looks like things that we cannot cross, we can. And what then is this image for us? What, do, what, what, what must we cross into, through? Yeah. Well, this life is part of it, but really the part where it really, comes, brother really hits the road is what? Death. death. And that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was for the Egyptians. They didn't make it past death. And we most certainly will not without what? Faith. in the invisible thing that is more firm than the things that we can see. And again, the examples he gives are just, you know, I, you don't think of them until you can, you can really read them and know. They believed in invisible things and they were more firm than the things they could see. Again, it's hard to impress that upon a fleshly mind. But they believed in God and He brought them through impossible things. And God gives this to us as a testimony and a witness that when you are experiencing the pangs of death, and when Israel looked at that sea and it had not yet parted, they most certainly felt urgency and fear. But what was more firm? Their faith so that God will bring you through your death. When you are lying there and there's nothing left for you to do, and there's nothing else you can do, the promises of God do it for you. Faith is the assurance of things you cannot see. All right, so um, let's move then to uh, the, the... Now we've gotten past Exodus. So, so actually, sorry, we've gotten past Deuteronomy. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are Moses. Okay, this is the Old Testament. Now we're done with the Pentateuch. Right, we did Genesis. We're now through Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy. And now we're to Joshua. Okay, so now Joshua and the rest of the Old Testament, that's what we're going to hear about now. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. It just keeps coming. You know, why were they riding around in a circle around the city? Well, yes, because God told them to, yes. Um, But what... Yeah, it scared them. Who went first? Who were they following? The Levites. Levites, who, Who had what? The, the ark and the horns. Yes, you're right. Yeah, they had the horn, and that's what they were blowing. When do you blow a horn in war? What is the charge? Yeah, good. When else do you blow a horn in war? <laughs> so you, you can retreat. Yeah, but here, why? Why are they blowing the horn? Victory, right? Because it was neither. They were not retreating, and they weren't fighting. Because you're right. Both of those are the ways you use the horn. But here, they were simply marching. And they had the Ark of the Lord because they'd won the victory. Now, again, in your mind's eye, picture being an Israelite. Now, Jericho, it's, again, a hard for us. I, I don't know what would be a good example for us to, to compare it to. Uh, have any of you been to, I don't know, the Rocky Mountains and seen the majesty of these mountains? Now, what if God told you, all right, now march around that, and then it's going to fall down. What do you.? What do you no, you're yeah, right. You know what? It's crazy. Right? Um, but that, these are the walls of Jericho. These walls are massive. They are the defense mechanisms that keep out kings and armies. And now your God told you okay, just march around it. I'll knock it down. Don't worry about it. Again, the things that seem impossible, our God does. And this is exactly what happens every time you decide if you're going to come to church on Sunday. God told you, hey, you go there, you get life everlasting. You get the gifts. You get my body and my blood and they will give you life everlasting. I will give you my very word. As a matter of fact, Jesus, my son, will speak through the office of the ministry and he will apply the word to you. He will show you your sins and he will give you salvation in your very ears. Today you had that. And then the world comes in and will tell you many things. Oh, those walls are too thick. You can't march around something and it fall down. Are you crazy? You can't go to church and listen to some dude preach. You know That's crazy. You're better off staying at home. You're better off avoiding the assembling of these crazy Christians. Because what could God do for you? And I'm sure they were saying that from the wall of Jericho. (laughs) You insane people. What are you doing? Blowing your horns down there. And yet, the walls fell. Yeah. Yeah. Except
1: that their leader was uh, Joshua, you know, one of the, the twelve spies who went into the land. Yes, who and, and only one of two who said, uh, "No, this is the land that God has given us. God will give it to us. It's ours." Uh, the ten were the uh, ones who were saying the, the, the naysayers. That's right. That's were right. too big, and and when the people believe them, you know, that was their people. Muhammad yeah. Jer- uh, Jericho, right? That was their parents who died in the wilderness.
0: So the people that trusted in the things they could see, where did they end up? Dead in the wilderness. And the people who believed in things they could not see, where did they end up? Marching around the walls of... Wow, that's good. Marching around the walls of Jericho. Like insane people following the word of God knowing that the promises of God are stronger than massive walls that surround us. Everything we see is created by the things we cannot see. Our lives are sustained by God. And though you may not see it, it is not the hand of a doctor or or your own hands, but rather the hand of God. He sustains you. The moment He chooses that you will die, you will most certainly die and nothing can prevent it from happening. The moment He chooses you to rise is the moment you will rise. But faith has all of that because it has the sure certainty of things we cannot see. Again, these are, these are the examples given for us so that we know God has already done this. And, and thank God He gave us an example. Thank God He gave us proof to help our faith. Because He didn't need to do it. All He had to say is, this is the case. And yet He wants us to be sure and certain. So whenever you have those feelings, oh, well, you know, do you, aren't there better things for you to do on a Sunday, on a Wednesday? Aren't there better? No! There are not. And not because I want you know, to stroke my ego with all the people that are here. But rather because you know that this is the promise of God. It's firmer than the kings of the earth, firmer than the building that we are in. Because when God says it, it happens. It's life and salvation. We have a home that we're going to, and we have it in certainty in the words that are spoken. All right, well, we're, we'll finish for today. Um, uh, I think Pastor Baisley will be continuing next week uh, for me. Uh, I'm, I'm headed to a wedding. Um, my, my vicarage supervisor, his daughter, is getting married. So uh, I, I praise God for that. And uh, so I will not be here, but uh, I'm leaving you in good hands. Uh, one of the others, uh, as well as uh, Pastor Wolf, um, you know, among us as our pastors. So Pastor Baisley will lead you next week. Uh, let us uh, pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would continue to help us to cling to things we cannot see. Dear Lord, you are the one who gives us confidence in your Son, Jesus. We know that we will rise because Jesus has risen. Help us, dear Lord, to cling to you always. Amen. Amen.